Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts, Nina and Kyle. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. And it's once again Christmas. For today's episode, you wanted to give you a bunch of facts. Some of it might be useful for debating. Some of it's not. But, you know, most of it is interesting to us. Um, and we wanted to just share a bunch of things you discovered while making the script for this episode. We did consult a bunch of material for this. Um, so I guess you can get... We're going to eventually find out what this episode is about, right? And we're going to put it in the title. But right now, it's just a combination of things that we find interesting about Christmas. Last time, it was about canceling Santa. We, we sort of realized, oh, we could make this about canceling Santa. But this time we're going to discover it as you go along. So what you decide to do with this information, it's up to you. But we hope that you have fun regardless because we have fun talking about Christmas. It's, you know, I don't really celebrate Christmas, but it's one of those times of the year that signifies rest for me. You know, how about you? For me, it it's really the traditional Christmas. Like, I really love Christmas. Like, I'm all about the gift giving and the gift buying. I love the malls during Christmas. I love the really corny Christmas movies, though I haven't watched them in a while. So basically, my plans are to just celebrate with family. I have two celebrations, one on the 24th, one on the 25th. Uh, I'm going to eat a lot, though my doctor told me I need to go on a diet, but I'm going to disregard that for a while, you know? I think my doctor will understand. The spirit of the holidays, yeah. Yeah, my doctor will understand, I hope. And if they're, if they're, they're listening, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like the one time of the year where like that should be okay like if it anything else it should be okay during christmas uh, but for me it's more of like christmas is what you make of it right so in my case because of circumstances christmas season is basically just cramming for the next year's acads um but that's not that's not jesus's fault that's probably COVID's fault and maybe our admin's fault. But anyway, the first thing that we wanted to talk about actually is, you know, this common notion of what Christmas is and isn't about. Because December 25th, it's really well known right now that it's not the actual date of birth of Jesus Christ. So Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but he was actually born Closer to the springtime, like March, maybe around very, very early September at the latest. But, you know, traditionally, it is also well known that, you know, December 25 is closer to that pagan holiday, Saturnalia. That, but there's a problem with that, right? There's a problem with that comparison because it's not a one-is-to-one analogy. Because Saturnalia was a festival celebrating the god Saturn, um, and the festivities were a simulation of this golden age where everything was plentiful and whatnot. And it wasn't really about the birth of God. And Christmas, as you know, is about the birth of the Christian God. Um, so it can't really be super synonymous with Saturnalia because that wasn't about the birth of God. More importantly, Saturnalia did not traditionally take place on the 25th. Traditionally, it did take place on the 17th to the 23rd of September. Because they were, they were like timing it with the solstice, like the nights grow longer and then the rebirth of the, the new age or whatever where the days start getting longer. Yeah, so celebrations have always existed before Christmas was a thing. And this was just like another attempt of early Catholic religion to take a celebration away from another religion, right? So, I mean... I'm not surprised. The stealing is very common. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the intention, if they were trying to kill the other religion th through taking their festivities slowly away. But this wasn't the only celebration. So besides Saturnalia, there was another celebration at the time called Juvenalia. It's a feast honoring the children of Rome. So this is in a different part of the world, probably. And in addition, uh, upper class individuals of Rome celebrated the birthday of someone called Mithra. If you play Smash or something, you've heard the name. But basically, this Mithra is the god of the unconquerable sun. So this was also on December 25. It was believed that Mithra, an infant god, was born of a rock. Does this have anything to do with giving gifts to kids and coal? Probably not. Maybe. I'm not sure. But the connection makes sense if you want to go there. At least that's what I was thinking when I was reading up on this, you know? 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the thing about Christmas is depending on the culture, like the way that you give gifts differ. Like here, there is a greater pressure or I suppose an expectation that you want to give more to your inaanaks, to your, mm. um, to, to the children of the family. But I suppose in other places, you know, I, I suppose that there is that sort of expectation to give gifts to everyone and not just the juveniles. But I really like that you mentioned Mithra because Mithra happens to be my favorite character mm-hmm. from Xenoblade. So it's not really from Smash, it's from Xenoblade. And it's one of my favorite Switch games. If you have a Nintendo Switch, you should probably consider getting Xenoblade. You get it as a gift for someone if you're still deciding on what to give someone. If they have a Switch, maybe give them Xenoblade. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, back to the point. Um, a lot of these religions were really borrowing from each other. So there might be some people, Christians in particular, who would object to the use of the term stealing. Um, because I, I saw some discourse recently um, in my Catholic memes pages. What? I, I am par- I'm in Catholic memes pages. <laughs> Lala, Sheila. Is this the one where ano, Jesu Chris, uh, Jesu Crypto came out from? Or is that no, really- no. Th- that, that was... Um, so the, the background for that is there's a Cebu-based satire um, platform that released um, a satirical article about Ligtas points. Um, and they wanted to have like a, a cryptocurrency that could buy you forgiveness or miracles and whatnot. So they, they call that, you know, um, Jesu Crypto. Or what's an- ko. But the others are like... I don't know. Cryptocurrency. So that's a different thing. That, because that page is not exclusively dedicated to Catholic memes. So this particular meme page is saying that you know, it's really weird whenever someone brings up Saturnalia in relation to Christmas and accuse them of stealing it because that's not really the intention behind it. So I, I feel like a lot of these religions are really just borrowing from each other. And it's not necessarily stealing, but more of like the strategy is let's overlay an existing celebration with symbols from our new religion. Um, I think Mithraism is older than Christianity. And certainly, you know, the worship of the Roman gods like Saturn you know, other pagan religions that's certainly older than Catholicism. Um, So there's something like a marketplace of ideas to determine which symbolism sticks. So I imagine that, you know, you have December 25 and then you have these different religions competing um, over what kind of symbolism will reign supreme. But I think that it's very good for believers because, I mean, they could all celebrate the 25th of December together even if they believe in Saturnalia, Juvenalia, Mithraism, whatever. So on one hand, maybe it is like stealing or to be kinder, borrowing from another religion. But on another more optimistic hand, maybe it's just so that everyone would get to party together. Um, and that's something that I, I endorse. Like partying is good. Yeah. So if that was the intention though, how did the others die out and how did... Christmas become the thing it is today. Whether we love it or hate it, we know that Saturnalia, Juvenalia, Mithraism, they're all gone. If you've never heard them before and this is your first time hearing it, then that's probably because Christmas reigns supreme. So why did that happen? I actually researched on the origins of Christmas and originally the Catholics had Easter as their main celebration. You know, because Easter was the rebirth of Christ and all that. Um, well, not rebirth, like the resurrection. What do you call it? See, resurrection, used... yeah. Yeah, the rebirth, resur- resurrection thing of, of Jesus. And we still celebrate it today, sure, but not, not as much as we do Christmas anymore, at least in the Philippines. I'm not sure with other countries. So they also wanted to celebrate the birth of Christ, but the Bible does not specify when. So as Kyle said, we can only assume it's spring. Because the sheeps were herded during that time and shepherds were still busy and doing the thing. And you can't really do that during winter. So that's the assumption. But anyway, Pope Julius I chose the December 25th exactly because he wanted to overtake other holidays like Saturnalia. So I want to rebut you and say 
there was a little bit of malicious, you know, intention for choosing December 25. In all the days of the year. Why December 25? Because they were threatened by others. And basically, they wanted to, to steal the spotlight, you know? Or maybe they wanted to party together, but you do know if a party is happening, there will be the celebrant or the star of the show. You can't just have a party without, you know, the main star happening. And Christianity basically wanted them to be the main star. So that was set up. And it was first called the Feast of the Nativity. Um, obviously, it wasn't as catchy as Christmas is right now. And that custom spread to Egypt and England by the end of the 6th century. So basically, as colonization was forced or was happening, conversion took place. And the spirit of Christmas spread as well. So hooray for that, I guess. Yeah, but to... <laughs> I suppose I want to defend my position where it's just like everyone wants to party. <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. Let's go. I, I I do get where you're coming from. This like it does seem that there's some malicious intent because otherwise why would it be exactly on the 25th? But at the same time, you know, you could say that about all these other religions. You can also say that about you know the pagan religions as well. Um, because as I said, um, Saturnalia was celebrated from the 17th to the 23rd and it was only later that they had a celebration for the 25th and the theory there is they borrowed it from the rebirth of the unconquerable sun um celebration that you have in Mithraism so it is i think possible that you know they just really wanted in on the you know they're partying on the 25th. I want to party on the 25th also so let's make up a new thing so we can all party together but in support of your argument, the more pessimistic argument, or I, you would call it not pessimistic, mm. but the realist argument, yeah, as yeah, opposed to my <laughs> idealist argument. I was argument. about to butt in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's that um, we, I read this article from um, John Story, and John Story is a cultural studies professor in the University of Sunderland, and he said that there were basically three strategies that were used by um, the early Christians, um, but you can you can apply this to most other religions. The first strategy is if you are competing against a rival religion, you want to avoid the competing religion altogether. But obviously, you can't have that all the time because you're trying to proselytize or evangelize people within places that have many different competing religions as well. So that, that applies to Islam because when Muhammad um, came to town, he was came like Santa, right? <laughs> he came to town in Mecca and there were apparently lots of, of religions there. They were polytheistic. Um, so it was competing against them as well. So it, most of the time, re- new religions cannot just avoid the competing religion. So the second strategy that you would employ is if you can't avoid it, you want to overlay as, as we said earlier, overlay the competing traditions with the symbols or the significance of your own religion. So, yeah, new, um, co-opting the 25th. And the last one, um, if even that doesn't work, you want to relentlessly persecute your rivals. So, um, when Constantine made it the official state religion in ancient Rome, persecution really did come next. So since we're, you were talking about Mithraism earlier, we don't know exactly why that religion died out. So you said you hypothesized that might because you know Christianity just stuck. But there is a theory that it stuck because of the persecution of people in that myth Mithraistic faith. Um, so what we do know is that in the fifth century, temples of Mithras, like most other pagan temples were destroyed. And in some of those sites where you had pagan temples, they built churches, um, Christian churches on top of them. Yeah, so with the temples destroyed, I guess it's just um, the spirit of giving and peace or whatever. But yes, so Christmas is not as peaceful or the day was not as peaceful as you know they'd like to portray it right now. It's actually been kind of weaponized and used to lure people into a broader belief or a more stringent belief, depending on how you view Catholicism. And this is part of why religions are, or certain religions are still relevant today. So we've normalized Christmas so much that religion still ended up having its time of being relevant regardless of where you are. 
So I guess this was a new phenomenon though. So Christmas, as what I've heard and what Kyle has been telling me before this episode was recorded, it wasn't always normalized before and it wasn't as popular as before. I just assumed that gradually it gained popularity. But apparently, there was a time where it wasn't and was actually criminalized. So I kind of want to ask you about that since I feel like that's the part you were nerding out a lot about that you wanted to make this episode specifically because of that. This paper that I based it on was sort of tracing the origins of the quote-unquote modern Christmas. And the modern Christmas came from the English. Um, So what happened was at some point in the history of England, um, they were controlled by um, a group of Christians called the Puritans. And as their name implies, you know, the Puritans are really pure. (laughs) So we've mentioned earlier that there is no scriptural basis for Christmas being on the 25th. So with that being said, the Puritans, they really were just like, yeah, if it's not in the Bible, why should we why should we honor it, right? They were really literal readers of the Bible. So since there was no evidence for Christmas Day, they argued for its removal from the Christian calendar. Um, so there was a, a really big English civil war Um, which is just a whole different topic in and of itself. Um, And at the end of that civil war, there was the Commonwealth, the the new English Republic. Um, And that that took place around the 1600s, right? Um, So Christmas was banned by an act of the parliament in that new Commonwealth in around 1647. Um, And... Uh, you said it was criminalized. Actually, I said it was criminalized because um, when it was banned a few years later in 19, in 1652, Parliament um, made a law that says you can't have any celebration at all on December 25. So it wasn't just banned. All like what they banned wasn't just Christmas celebrations on the 25th. They banned all celebrations on the fi- 25th. So like, um, if you had like a birthday, they would go like, oh, you're celebrating Christmas, huh? Okay, <laughs> jail for you. <laughs> so any solemnity or like any churches used for that particular day, like it's your birthday and you want to go to church, that's bad too, unfortunately. So that ban uh, remained in place until 1660. In that year, um, Parliament said, okay, let's reopen the churches for, for this particular day. Um, and soldiers started being instructed to ensure that shops were open. So that's the, the weird history of the criminalization, the very brief criminalization of Christmas. But as I think we'll talk about it later, um, that didn't really mean that it was super popular then or even after it was decriminalized. Why was there a big demand to celebrate Christmas anyway? Like after a while, right? Why why didn't they just keep it banned or criminalized? Well, for sure, there was not this big demand to celebrate Christmas. Um, it was actually just meant to celebrate the gains of industrialization through consumption. So actually what happened was, um, even though it was lifted, the ban was lifted in 1660, it still wasn't really celebrated until the 1800s. Um, and in fact, it was so like not normalized. It was like, it was so, no one really cared <laughs> to the point that at some point in the 1800s, the mayor of London had to require people to celebrate Christmas because until then, nobody wanted to celebrate Christmas. Like who cares? It's, <laughs> I don't care about Christmas, man. Like, um, so all of these traditions, they died. So we had to reinvent them. Um, and this is where, you know, industrialization, capitalism, that's where those came in. Um, so that guy, John Story, said that Christmas was invented. Um, and by Christmas, it means like something that is different from the Christmas that we had before the 1600s. The new modern Christmas was invented as a commercial event. So everything that was revived or invented so decorations, cards, you know, crackers, um, carols, visiting Santa, all of those things, they had just one thing in common. 
that they could be sold for profit. So it was all commercial. So we had a conversation before last year, if I'm not mistaken, about like, you know, this motion that this house would, uh, this house regrets the way that Christmas has you know, come to be celebrated. Or is that just something that I encountered um, as a debater? Because no, I know no, that I debated talked about that. it. We talked about yeah, it. I'm so, not sure if it was last year or the previous year, but we did have an episode with Christmas movements. Yeah, so what happened then was w- when we debated that, we were saying that, oh, it's gift-giving that's very consumerist, that's very capitalistic. And you were told by a very prominent debater at the time who, who is now canceled, by the way, so let's not talk about who this person is. But they told us that, well, maybe an argument that you could make is that the reason why you want to give gifts is because when Jesus was a baby, you know, the three wise men came there and they gave gifts. So you have to be like the wise man to give gifts to Jesus. Um, so this um, paper sort of demonstrates that that's basically a lie, right? That's basically a lie. Like when you're giving gifts or when you're expecting gifts, it's not really as a, as a homage to the three wise men. Like no one remembers the three wise men, right? But what people do remember is, you know, I just have to give. And that's because the reinvention of Christmas was always, always about commercialization. It was always, always about profit. Yeah, you'd be surprised how much of it influences our celebrations of Christmas today. Like, obviously, the ones that we think are so innocent are also driven by profit for example rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is also a product of pure capitalism so in 1939 montgomery ward commissioned one of its catalog copywriters named john may to dream up a character for the coloring books of the department store that handed out you know things to children after they sat on santa's lap because that was a thing back then and i'm not sure if it's a thing here like i've never encountered a, a mall santa have you ever encountered a mall santa no, no, but I, I love like I love watching TV shows that have interactions with mall Santas. Like, um, if if you watch um Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I don't you don't, but one of my favorite episodes was their Christmas episode where, um, uh, the, it's not it's not suitable for children, but like I love interactions with mall Santas and in, in these. Um, TV shows. I just love them, but I don't think we have them here. Yeah, I don't think we have them here either, but basically the department store commissioned a coloring book to have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer so that they could give it to kids, and eventually like a TV show was made, and a lot of things were made, and Rudolph the mythical being is now known to be celebrated because some dude just wanted to earn money and get his department store all popular. Yeah. People might not know this. I am sure we mentioned this the last time we had a Christmas episode, but there aren't really nine reindeer. Like Rudolph is just, you know, the baby brother. There are really only eight um, reindeer. And as I've said in the previous Christmas episode, the eight reindeer were really a representation of the eight legs of Sleipnir which is the horse that Odin used to ride throughout, you know, the with the winter sky at night, looking for naughty children. So you sort of get as well, like Santa was actually just Odin, but like we bastardized it because of Catholicism, and now we bastardized it again with capitalism. But the song, um, Rudolph the Red No Stranger, I don't really remember how to sing it. Maybe you do. Do you? The red nose reindeer had a very shiny nose. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that one. Yeah, so that song was apparently very, very popular in the following decade after um, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer as a character was invented. So you can kind of see here that, you know, you have this piece of advertisement and it was used to sell stuff during Christmas. And then that piece of advertisement was turned into a piece of pop culture that was used to sell more records. So it's just like it's capitalism all the way down. Like, um, And then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was remixed for money, and then those remixes will get remixed for money. I don't know. Um, who knows what people do for 
money or advertisement. Like, you know, so, you know Mariah Carey's ano, right? It's a running meme that every Christmas she gets richer and she's played into it. Like she actually has ads where she's anticipating Christmas because her song becomes popular again. Have you seen those? No, I haven't I haven't seen those, but that's very on brand thing for yeah. for not just for Mariah Carey, but for you know advertisers in general. Yeah. Like if you if you lean into it, you can play into this um cult or surrounding the advertisement. So you can see here that there's a combination or convergence, I suppose, of advertising, pop culture, and spirituality in the West. And some people call this phenomenon an ad cult, um, where there's a cult that forms around the advertisement or the ad feeds into some cult-like or religious behavior. Um, so another example of this is Santa. Um, and as I've said, you know, it's partly he's based on Odin, but he's based on so many other things as well. But generally speaking, whatever you got from these different sources, you removed everything away that is not conducive to consumption, that's not conducive to materialism. Um, so, in fact, some people call him a deity, like he's a god, but he's the god of materialism, and that materialism is the new religion. Um, so they say, actually, you can keep you can keep Christ out of Christmas, but you can't keep Santa out of Christmas. Um, so there's even like episodes of South Park. The very first episode of South Park was basically a death battle between Jesus and Santa during Christmas. And that's basically because like people really do care more about Santa than they care about Jesus Christ during this particular time. Um, so you have a combination of marketing and mythologizing. So when you say that, oh, Santa lives in the North Pole and he makes the toys, North Pole is actually just a department store or like a factory, right? Um, so they say that the toys are made by elves. That's the mythologizing part. But really, the elves are just underpaid laborers or worse, child laborers. Maybe that's the reason why, like, when you think of elves, Christmas elves, they generally seem to be small people. Maybe that's because they're children. Um, and the focus on mythologizing materialism does tend to come at the cost of religion or the spiritual or substantive aspect of religion as opposed to now it's basically just like a functional aspect of religion where we we act like it is something spiritual but the contents of our practices they don't really contain any spirituality anymore and like i said earlier um santa is based on odin but it's also based on saint nicholas or uh, santa lucia as well but the difference is Santa does not have those religious connotations anymore, as opposed to St. Nicholas, right? Um, another alternative is Santa was based on Saturn from Saturnalia or Odin, but he isn't rebellious like Saturn. You never think of Santa as someone who would be willing to sacrifice his eye for knowledge like what Odin did. And also, um, recently I've been rewatching The Office. There was a Christmas episode where Dwight from the office said that the original Santa Claus is called Sinterklaas. And Sinterklaas is actually a real thing. But Sinterklaas does corporal punishments instead of just giving you coal. And Santa as a concept borrows from those sources and it's tailor-made to be pro-consumption. So everything that's not conducive to it, they just strip it away. Yeah, so they keep what can sell and then they take away parts that are not appealing or cannot be put into a Hallmark card. Which, you know, like, reminds you of all the Hallmark movies that are around Christmas. What's your favorite Christmas movie, by the way? I never got to ask. Well, my favorite Christmas movie right now is Klaus, <laughs> the animated movie that's on Netflix. Ah, Because yeah. I, I feel like it does a good job of portraying that, you know, creating a myth out of something who just wanted to do good. Yeah, minus, minus Elf. You know, like when you, you mentioned that elves are small and very tiny. That's your rebuttal. Yeah, like I, I remember, you know, Will Ferrell was a tall elf. But then again, he was adopted and sort of like ended up there. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Christmas movies. You know, just just Sharon. I've just actually Sharon. never watched that. Maybe <gasps> maybe later we can watch it together. Yeah, we should watch yeah. it. I think it's fun. But actually, this this is a separate debate. You know, what constitutes a Christmas movie? Like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, because like a lot of people say that it's one of the best Christmas movies, but 
it just so happens to have taken place during Christmas. Like, are you saying that Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie? Because it takes place around Christmas. Yeah, so like, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe the themes have to be specifically around Christmas. Like, they have to be discussing Christmas elements and actively this saying that it's Christmas stuff. I don't know. But I love Christmas episodes, you know. That's all I know. I love Christmas episodes. I love some Christmas movies. What was your still... favorite? Oh, oh you know this. You know this. Of, uh... Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> because I, I'll tell you if my guess is right. Okay, I don't know. Okay. How about I guess, and then you tell me if my guess is right. Okay, yeah, you guess. I, I think that your favorite one is that episode from Community. Mm. It's like Abed's Christmas, where it's claymation. And uh, it was... The Christmas thing was a metaphor for him missing his family or something. Mm, yeah. Do you know? Do you know why it was claymation? Uh, because it it was portraying like a dissociative break from reality or something. <laughs> yes, that's one. But the real reason <laughs> is because when Christmas stories became a thing, um, they were popularized through claymation. When you were talking about the the song of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it was also alongside a very popular claymation animation that would run yearly. That was also about Rudolph. There was also different episodes on other Christmas stories. But basically, I think that community episode was tapping into that nostalgia that people had that Christmas stories are associated with claymation because at the time, it was the primary medium for the most popular ones. Yeah, you know, just another fun fact. We're sharing. Oh, that's cool. Because, like, I I think that's interesting because I never had that association. I never associated Christmas. It's a very Western thing. It's a very Western thing. Yeah. What's your association of Christmas then? Like, what? No, um, I didn't really have any. (laughs) Oh, no. But um, it was because of community that I've created the association now. So it seems that, like, these tropes, they reinforce or they reinvent themselves over time. Basically, like, Christmas in general is wow. Yeah. It's a metaphor for the history of Christmas as well. Well, well. Yeah, my my family before we used to reinforce it with their Christmas tree. Like my mom used to go all out on the Christmas tree. Like we used to have themes per year. Like my mom's not with us right now. No, not I mean she's fine. She's in the States. Uh she's just not celebrating Christmas with us. I'm not sure, mom, if you're listening, do you still have a Christmas tree? Because I remember our Christmas trees back home and they were very dope. Like We'd have a pink theme. Um, we'd have a green theme. We'd have a rainbow theme one year. And basically, I, I don't think it's an accident that us Filipinos are very into celebrating Christmas, um, given that it's very consumerist and capitalist. Like, no offense to my mom or to me, right? Because it is shown that Filipinos are one of the biggest online shoppers in Asia. We're also very maximalist, which is the opposite of minimalism, where, you know, you want to survive on as little as possible and have joy with little things filipinos have joy when they have lots of things like we put so much sentimental value in knickknacks and paraphernalia of sorts and this is sort of because we lend a lot of value to meaning and sentiment that comes with items so this is why also the philippines celebrates christmas the moment the bear months start so we're very consumerist we love long celebrations we love fiestas we love holidays because it's just an excuse for us to party party, as Kyle says. But it's also because it's reflective of who we are as people. So there's a cultural angle to this as well. Now, obviously, it's not objectively bad or good to be consumerist. It's just, you know, sort of a bad thing because we're in a pandemic and, you know, child labor, unfair wages and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to make a distinction between maximalism and consumerism necessarily. Because, like, um, I have a lot of things in my room. But I didn't necessarily buy all those things. Like a lot of those were made, a lot of those were gifted to me. Um, so I suppose that for a lot of people, um, especially like older generations of Filipinos, and they talk about maximalism, they have all these knickknacks. It's because each and every one of them has specific meaning to them. Um, so when when I was a kid, um, <laughs> the house of my great grandmother had a lot of bells, like handcrafted bells. Uh, and my great-grandmother got it from like years and years and years of collection isn't that scary uh it was scary because they were living with me because i I just kept like banging the things (laughs) and like most of them got destroyed because of me and then they were all like 
no, Kyle, that's older than you. That's older than you. And at some point, I had to assume that, oh, everything is older than me. Like, this chair is older than me. So there was this one point in my, this one phase of my life where occasionally I just go up to my parents and go like, is this chair older than me also? And I know, no, <laughs> you're older than that chair. I'm like, yes, finally, I'm older than something in this freaking house. Um, but yeah, uh, consumer, consumerist holidays are loved by consumerists and or maximalist people, even though there uh, is some overlap and there are some parts that don't overlap um, in those cultures. The thing is, though, not everyone can have that privilege. Not everyone is privileged enough to be maximalist or to even be able to consume, right? So a lot of people are suffering from unfair labor practices, um, wage theft, those kinds of things. And especially today, right? And these, this past week, um, we have been hit with a huge crisis, a huge, huge crisis. And Christmas has effectively been ruined for so many people. Like they can't spend their Christmas the way that they usually would. It's not going to be a restful Christmas for any of them. So I think we have a responsibility in keeping, I suppose, to the spirit of Christmas, whatever that may be, to try and help out in the ways, the little ways that we can. So there are so many donation drives that you can donate to. And if you, if you can choose, right, you'd rather choose to donate to places that have tried and tested like delivery mechanisms so that, you know, it actually goes to where it needs to be. But another problem that I just wanted to highlight a bit while I'm plugging, you know, these donation drives is they do also have a manpower problem because, for example, the, the Lenny Robredo campaign teams, um, they're all doing like a lot of these donation drives. In particular, the, uh, the Robredo People's Council, they have a lot of donations, but right now they don't have a lot of volunteers. They don't have a lot of manpower to you know help them process those donations. So there are going to be volunteer sign-up forms and as soon as the 26th, you can actually volunteer to help out there. Um, so if you don't know where it is, it is in Katipunan, in Quezon City. And if you live n- near the area, um, we really, really hope that you can take the time to volunteer and help out. Because it really does help people who are less fortunate than us. I think the thing about donations is there is some sort of hesitation because you don't really know if it's going to go to the place where it needs to go to. Right, but this isn't the time to to be ruled by that kind of skepticism, to be ruled by that kind of pessimism, because the longer that we do not do anything, the more likely it is that you know we increase the suffering or we fail to decrease the suffering that people are actually experiencing. So anyway, back to <laughs> back to the Christmas parts. I mentioned earlier when I was plugging the donation drives that it might be in keeping with the spirit of Christmas. Some people would say, and this is the other view, that Christmas isn't about consumption. Christmas isn't about capitalism. It's not about gifts, but rather it's about giving, the act of giving, the act of charity. Um, So the modern practice of Christmas, like you mentioned, was invented in the 1800s. But even around that time, you had writers that were actively challenging it. Um, You had writers like Charles Dickens who wanted to remove capitalism from Christmas a little bit. So if you don't know, Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Um, so you're familiar, naman, you know, with um, the basic story of A Christmas Carol, right? Yeah, I watched that like a bunch of times as well. Yeah, so most of us, we, when we think of that, we remember the, the structure of like, he's very mean and then He's he visited alone, by the visited by ghosts of his past, present, and future. Then yeah. he becomes nicer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So based on that, what would you say um Ebenezer Scrooge's big flaw was? Like as the main character, what was his main flaw? He was a mean. Yeah, uh, but apparently the problem with Ebenezer Scrooge wasn't really that he was mean. Because like you can be mean. Even even while you're celebrating Christmas, I like how you, know? you had to specify it was Ebenezer Scrooge because like automatically my mind would just have gone to Scrooge McDuck or something. Yeah, <laughs> and 
and Scrooge McDuck was not a meanie, right? He was yeah, not a meanie. Yeah, he, he was just he like still a very, very money centric, like like Mr. Krabs. But uh, so like in the hierarchy of mean people, I'd say Mr. Krabs, and then actually no, it's it's Ebenezer Scrooge and Mr. Krabs, and then Scrooge McDuck. That's Scrooge all. McDuck is the nicest one. The nicest so, one. But anyway. So really, <laughs> what what creates a Scrooge? isn't the fact that you're mean, right? Because you, you have really, really great, wholesome people, ducks, like ducks. Scrooge Rock Duck. <laughs> Who is a Scrooge? Are there other nice Scrooges? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but basically, yeah, a Scrooge just collects money, like really likes material wealth in that sense. Doesn't need to spend the money, like Scrooge McDuck doesn't spend the money, they just like accumulating money, right? Yeah, so the the main flaw of a Scrooge isn't that you're mean, but rather that you preoccupy yourself with business. And as a result, the original Ebenezer Scrooge hated on the poor, especially during Christmas. Like there was this one part where like he was he was really mean about the fact he doesn't want to see bums on the street, especially during Christmas, like asking for donations, asking for gifts, asking for alms because it prevents him from going about his day. Minding his own business. And in fact, like the first lines, actually the first lines of A Christmas Carol in the original text, he went to the morgue to, to you know, sign the papers for his very, very long-time business partner named Marley. And his main concern was like, can I get a coupon for this morgue thing? Oh, so I'm going to inherit. Um, is this a bargain? and Stuff like that. Yeah, so he was basically just thinking about business the entire time. The whole story of that, of A Christmas Carol, was for him to realize that I shouldn't just preoccupy myself with business because being rich also involves like being kind to others, being charitable, especially. So it's not just being nice, it's specifically being charitable to others, especially the poor. So you would say that that sort of, that sort of says that you have to sometimes challenge this idea of consumerism, this capitalism that says you are poor because of your own faults, you should only rely on business, you should only rely on profit so that you can buy whatever you want. Um, This is like a, a criticism of that, I suppose. Yeah, what's interesting to me about, you know, Charles Dickens writing is that it wants to detach itself from capitalism and try so hard by saying, no, it's about giving. But that's still tied to capitalism, right? Because you can only give if you have capital, but giving assumes that there is an opposite. So it's, it's sort of like discussions that try to be apolitical, but the apoliticalness of your statement is a political statement in it of itself. But anyway, I digress. I'm not surprised, though, that our discussion right now on Christmas went from random memes to Rudolph. And now we're back to Marxism, because that's very on-brand for Nina and Kyle. Yeah, so speaking of Marxists or socialists, right? Um, George Orwell, <laughs> who you might know, um, our, our our audience might know George Orwell as the author of 1984 and Animal Farm. Um, there is some debate about whether or not he's a socialist, but I think that he is just a socialist. Yeah, I think I think so. He wrote about Charles Dickens. He wrote about the Christmas Carol, saying that you know every time Dickens attacks capitalism in a Christmas carol. Every time he attacks um, society in this way, he tries to solve it by pointing to a change in spirit rather than a change in structure. So that's the limit of the argument that Christmas is about giving. Why is it about the individual spirit? Why is it about you as an individual giving to another person when the reason why you want to you know, give to the poor is because there's a system in place that keeps people poor? So, I mean, you can have that argument, I guess. Like the, the, It might be good if you have that kind of argument. Like you just give because giving is good. But like you also have to take a look at the system. Why do you give to the needy? Why are there even needy people in a system where you have such a huge concentration of wealth for a very, very few amount of people like that? Yeah, so basically, I guess this is where the classic debate enters whether change should be by the individual or should it be achieved at a bigger level, whether it should be about, like, whether it be about the environment or the economy, the issue always seems to come up. Like, Christmas 
is no exception. So there's always been debates about, you know, people who choose to celebrate Christmas as well, especially when they're in poverty. I don't think a motion on this was ever made before, but I used to see a lot of hot takes on Twitter by those grind culture individuals that say, you know, the same people that say, you shouldn't have a coffee in the morning if you want to save up. Or, you know why millennials are so poor? It's because of all the those avocado toasts. Yeah, those kinds of people... They're the same types of people that say, oh, you're in poverty because you celebrate Christmas and you like giving gifts. So it took me a while when I saw that to figure out why it irked me as an argument. But this discussion we're having now sort of just reminded me why. It's because it's asking the individual to adjust instead of changing the system. Like, why should we be the ones not celebrating when everyone else can and why should we be the ones changing our behavior when it's the system that's obviously preventing us from having a great party party Christmas, right? So I think it's cruel. I think it's unfair. I think it's pretty gatekeepy to say that only a few people deserve to celebrate Christmas just because they were lucky and had opportunities. Others did not. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's my take. I know some people might be like, of course, don't celebrate Christmas if you have other priorities. But Again, right, you don't need to celebrate in a big way. It's not about Louis Vuittons or Gucci bags or whatever. Other brands, people give away. Do people give Gucci? I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway. I think like if you have the resources to give Gucci bags. like I mean, yeah, right. But if you don't, you don't like, you don't need to. Just give what you can. Give a coupon for a hug or something. Like I would appreciate that. Well, not, well, not now. It's a pandemic. Like. Give me some face masks that are cute. I'd appreciate that. Like if you if you crocheted me a mask to wear on top of my other mask, because surgical masks are not cute and aesthetic. And if you give me a crochet mask to put on top of that, I'd I'd love that, you know? Like the small things count. So, you know, gatekeeper Twitter, like stay in your lane. Yeah, I, I mean gatekeeper Twitter sort of operates under the assumption, the same problematic assumption that you've been talking about, which is it assumes that Christmas celebrations are built on this idea of like consumption, this idea that you have to spend a lot in order for there to be a good gift. But really, it, it, for a lot of poor people, it doesn't really matter if they give gifts or not, because they're going to stay. They're still going to unfortunately have to live in in a system where they have to live paycheck to paycheck, right? So it doesn't really matter. Like you, you can take the avocado toast out of it, they're still going to face humongous amounts of um, student loan debt, mm. right? You can make them buy less gifts for their ina-anaks, but they're still going to be living paycheck to paycheck, um, living on subsistence wages. Did it make you sad, Kyle, that we are no longer the ina-anak and we're the ones giving gifts to ina-anaks? Because you keep um, saying, right, giving gifts to ina-anaks, like, it's just like, wow, we're at that age where that's the mindset already. Like, we're the gift givers. No, when, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, there were some times like, you know, we've had, we had to line up to, like, get 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 that sweet Christmas. You would line up? You're so weird. Yeah, you would line up. You would line up. Tapos, you'd get, like, 20s and whatnot. And then um, there, was also, there was always, like, something that goes on subconsciously where you get the sense that people are comparing the amount that they can give right so um some people are very secretive about how much they give because they're giving a lot and they know that other people can't give a lot or the opposite like they know that they can't give a lot um so they're keeping it a secret so there was always a sense that that's the reason why they give it to you in those little envelopes and they tell you not to open it until you're in a private place already. Because there is like this sense that you're comparing with each other um, the amount that you give. And now I can totally relate. Like, I, I can't afford to give in my Anax 50 pesos. Like, I don't have a job, you know? I don't have a job. And you know what? Not only do I not have a job, I do not have a job that I'm getting paid for. And yet, I still have to study for this Christmas season. Uh, so annoying. Oh. Being a student talaga. Wala lang, mag-arat lang ako ng Because, you know, a lot of people go like, oh, it's, but in the real world, you're also going to do something like that in the real world, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, in the real world, 
you get paid for the work that you do, right? You get paid for the work that you do. Your your professors or your teachers, they're getting paid. Like they're probably going, they're probably getting paid less than what they deserve, but they're getting paid, right? As opposed to students who are expecting them to work like they're like corporate slaves already, even though you're not paying them. What the heck? Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, okay. Relax now. Inhale. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I guess the takeaway here is that, you know, Christmas has a rich history. You know, you can trace it back to ancient Roman times. Um, just like any other holiday, there's always going to be a huge story for it. I guess the only exception for um, holidays without histories are those made-up holidays made by Shopee and Lazada where like every month they just go like, <laughs> oh, it's a new holiday. What happened Happy on... Happy 1010. Happy 1010. Like, who cares? And then like once they've, ano, once they've um, exhausted all of them, it's like, okay, what what number combinations can we do to put people in like on, on the sale mode? But anyway, it just so happens that Christmas um, has a very interesting history because it's rooted in colonialism and capitalism as well as spirituality. And sometimes it's about some of those more than the others and vice versa. Um, and it tends to talk more about issues that are super relevant in today's time, like the idea of community. Like we have lost in a lot of ways our sense of community. Our notions of when is it appropriate to give or receive have also changed because of the pandemic. And to what extent should you hope that when things you know, all go wrong, is there a way for you to bounce back from it, right? It's also about appreciation, which is what we wanted to end this episode on, just this huge amount of appreciation that we have, not only for our team, um, but also this community that we've built over the past three years. Um, yeah, this year has been quite something for Debatable. Like This is the first time we celebrated the Debatable anniversary. This is the first time we... Um, it's the first time that we hosted debatable tournaments. We hosted three this year, even though in the beginning of the year we had zero experience um, with it. Um, and actually, we haven't tweeted this yet, but we reached 15,000 followers on Spotify Yay! recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that that's the greatest gift we've received from all of you is that, you know, your continued love, your continued support. Um, for us our podcast and our projects and we honestly could not ask for more but we do want to do more for you yeah so that's it for today's episode of debatable happy holidays and we'll see you in the next one bye bye